final episode of season five of Interdisciplinary, Heal Well's podcast about people who take care of people and all the places and perspectives that lift us up. We love science, we love meaningful dissent, and we love to support our fellow humans in making our world a place that is just, equitable, and loving beyond our own imagining. And I would say funny beyond our own imagining, because it gets real funny up in here, even though it can be real dark at the same time. So here we are, final episode. Uh, we talked to you a little bit last time about the Patreon and what it is and how cool it is and the great potential for improved quality of life that exists for you, dear listener, and for us podcasters when you become a Patreon subscriber. So get in there and um, patreon.com slash interdisciplinary uh, and toss in your five shekels a month to hear the coolest stuff that nobody else but you and your other super secret squirrel Heowellians are hearing. And then we get to get uh, cool equipment that makes us sound even better and uh, helps us come right into whatever device you are listening to. Um, so make sure to check out the Healwell community too, if you haven't done that already, community.healwell.org. Uh, and you'll see what to do when you get there. You'll see our uh, tiered pricing structure. So you can poke your toe in there and try it out. You can dive in for a whole year. It's totally up to you, but it's another place where really cool conversations are happening. Nobody is yelling. People are being really supportive and curious. All kinds of things are being explored. There's definitely a lot of fun in there. There's a lot of thinking. There is mad nerdbaggery happening. So don't miss it. Speaking of nerdbaggery, this one is for you people, my fellow hosts. I'm developing a new fragrance for introverts. It's called Leave Me the Pho Cologne. <laughs> Chi. <laughs> I would wear it. See? I mean, it wouldn't matter because you wouldn't be interacting with anybody, but you'd smell good. Right. So, right. you know, if it was going to be useful as well as just cologne, then it would probably smell like anti pheromones. Yes. So that like the seas would just part when you walk in a crowd. People are just repelled for reasons mm -hmm. they don't fully understand. They don't understand. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you I'll don't, don't want to talk to that person. Bad, but I don't want to be near you. <laughs> It's awesome. I think I may already be wearing it. <laughs> See? <laughs> Does it also repel small talk? Because that would be amazing. Oh, man. That. I don't want to ask you how you are anymore. Sometimes I just want a sign that says don't small talk. Yeah, yeah don't do talk. it. That's yeah. right. Big talk Big only. talk only. Big talk or no talk. Big yeah. talk or go home. That's right. Oh, wait. There's some, there's a, a joke in there somewhere. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. A t-shirt. Yeah. I would always uh, choose go home, so. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys see that that meme that was going around last week about um, what Carrie, you remember what it was about um, people underestimating your desire to actually just go home? Oh, yeah. Go big or go home. Like, yes. I can do both. Goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. See ya. Peace out. <laughs> it's the meme said people who say go big or go home seriously underestimate my willingness to go home. Like, literally, it's my only goal. <laughs> <laughs> um so. amanda said something about that too right didn't she say um let's hurry up and go so we can come home yeah exactly. yeah that's right yeah she was talking about when she used to go on trips with i think it was her dad her dad yeah 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 he was like sorry i'm late so i didn't back. want to come <laughs> yeah <laughs> so can we talk about money let's talk money let's talk money <laughs> <laughs> talk about talk about the thing that nobody wants to talk about um i was just having this conversation this morning with my my beloved person um that i i think that students are lied to in school i don't i, I know carrie i don't know if you would say it, it that plainly but i think students are lied to about what to expect from this career and um I think a lot of it has come from like the for-profit school model that hopefully is falling apart at this point. But um, that whole, like you get people in and you have them stay in so that the school can make money, even though they're people who will never, don't have the means or the, the support to take and pass, you know, a licensing exam or to, to do this work, to get a job, to do whatever. This is, um, 
it's like justifying, uh, there's like six different things in here now, but like justifying, I always felt when I was teaching at my school that we were stealing, there were people we were stealing money from. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause they were in class. I keep telling, I think I've told this story to y'all at least two or three times, but the, the woman who I was tutoring and she's learning the skeleton and we spent over an hour on the four large bones of the leg, five, because patella, like femur, patella, tibia, fibula. That was it. She didn't have it after an hour. And like everything, and that's, you know, I tried everything that I could think of, didn't have it. They were stealing her money. Um, and I think it, so I certainly had that experience. And certainly when a certain giant corporation took over the giant corporation that I was already working for as a teacher, um, I was actually told, we were all told in a, in a staff meeting, no student fails. If a student fails, you failed. No students fail this program. End of story. Um, so I certainly think people, we were stealing <laughs> lately. <laughs> but yeah. I, I also think, you know, Cal talked about the, the fuzzy math that we do when we enter massage school. And I did the fuzzy math. I definitely was multiplying 40 hours a week times 60, 80, 90, a hundred dollars. And I was like, I'm going to be rich. Um, and while I don't think massage school teaches you, that's true. They don't dissuade you either. Nobody disabuses you of the notion that you can make a bajillion dollars as a massage therapist. And I feel like while they're certainly in the lackluster business classes that they offer in massage school, they certainly sort of say, you have to report your tips. There's this sort of like, you have to report your tips, wink, 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 <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and I do, I think that we, we I, yeah, I, I will, I will be the first step up to the salt lick on this one. I, I, we are lying. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I can remember instructors saying to me, like unofficially in class that they encourage their clients to pay cash because cash, mm -hmm. wink, wink, you know, that it's, yeah. So I just pulled up a, a little Google search, you know me, I like Google searches. Um, and I searched, how much do massage therapists make? And at the very top, there's a little scroll bar with um, a bunch of sites that have estimates. So salary.com estimates that massage therapist, the job makes 43K to 70K per year. <laughs> Sorry. And it gets better. Glassdoor um, for a quote certified massage therapist. And I'm not sure what that is, but a certified massage therapist is 35K to 150K per year. What? Is that in yep. Canada? That sounds like a Canada thing, like certified. Maybe, but uh, well, and here's the thing. Labeled. Here's the thing that I wonder too, is like, so, so many massage therapists um, do uh, like monetizing where like, you know, for, for this type of modality, I charge this much, even though it's an hour Swedish is this much and it's cheaper. And also, would you like to buy these essential oils? And mm -hmm. that I don't know how those things get broken out in terms of, you know, what I'm declaring is income under this umbrella of practice, but the way I augment that, I mean, I don't know how many massages you would have to actually do if you were just doing massage. If you're teaching, if you're writing, if you're like, there are lots of ways to supplement your income beyond actually touching bodies. But I don't know where you would have to live that you would. I'm guessing this is pre tax, first of all. Um, mm. But also, 135,000. What? Ha, what? <laughs> I, uh, yeah. Talk about fuzzy math. Right? So there's that that's lying too. Well, for $100,000, here's my quick, terrible calculation. Um, if, if you $100,000 divided by $80 an hour, say, um, 
divided by 52, which is how many weeks of the year there are, uh, says that you'd have to do more than 24 massages a week to make a hundred thousand dollars. Right. And to not pay your taxes. Well, well, of course. Right. No, but I I mean, this is the thing, like I want to keep coming back to, and I, and I think that it, it, um, it feeds into that grind mentality and that sort of like when people are teaching massage therapists how to be business people, they're teaching them how to grind. They're teaching them how to set up packages and things that mean that they're working more than might feel nourishing and healthy to them. Mm-hmm. And our work is to nourish and help other people feel healthy. So if we're worked down to a fuzzy nub, like, and this of course gets, gets into, um, the conversations we have about, you know, I'm, I'm almost done with this book, hypercapitalism. So you can just edit this out if you need to, but we think we need more than we need. Right. And so we are working to have a four bedroom house for the three people in our family, or we are working to have a car for each person who has a driver's license in our home. We are working to have these things that you're supposed to have. And we're not looking at, wait a minute. So what ends am I trying to make meet? And are there things that I can change about how I live that make me not have to hustle as much? And is that a thing that I can possibly do? And how am I letting down, you know, how loud is the story about, well, if I worked harder, I would have more stuff or I would feel more financially comfortable or whatever the stories are that aren't anything to do with, do I feel successful? Like, I'm doing this presentation in a couple of weeks um, in this like multi-week thing. I'm one of many presenters talking about the inside job of what does it mean to be successful? And my whole thing is about like, stop looking at your balance sheet. Like you have to be able to eat. You have to be able to pay your rent, but success is not, I rubbed this many people this week. Success is not all of these things that we've been told it is. And I think it makes us real unable to, you know, feel our gut and, and make decisions about like, what is healthy for me? If I am a healthcare provider, I can't be living at the edges of what's healthy and be doing a a reasonable, providing a reasonable service to the people that I'm working with. And, and what's the service we're actually providing? Because you say, you know, we're nurturing and yada, 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 other people. But I think that just like we're taught self-care in massage school means support your thumbs, don't hyperextend your elbows, lunge when you use deep pressure. <laughs> Lower your Make table. sure that you you ground yourself before <laughs> right. you go into your treatment room, whatever that means. Right, right. We're still taught to grind. And I think that a lot of the nurturing that we provide for our clients is about the physical and not about the other things. I keep thinking about a person who approached me after I uh, gave a lecture at a conference, a massage conference, and I was talking about the effectiveness of less pressure. And I spent the whole lecture talking about the nerves and showing you fascia and how it works and why it works, and you don't need to work aggressively. And this person cornered me after my talk, and he basically said, like, yeah, 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 but, yeah, 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 but. And his evidence was that he had been working as a massage therapist um, for a a volleyball team, I think. Uh, And they were in the finals. It's this big, important match, blah, blah, blah. And uh, he, during this, this break, the one player had basically injured himself. So he couldn't really lift his arm without pain which he needed to do to keep playing. And so this massage therapist basically did some crazy deep uh, stripping of the muscles around the shoulder and then forced the arm into full extension. And there was a terrible popping noise, but the player was able to continue and they won the game. And this therapist kept trying to get me to agree that that was success. (laughs) Winning! (laughs) And I do, I mean, I think if that was your job, of course you, you will read that as success. And if you're the athlete who's, that's what you want from the body worker, it's success. It's success all around. And I think nobody's being really educated about what 
actual nurturing, <laughs> what actual self-care is. And so I think you're right. I think this is massively cultural. This isn't unique to massage therapy in any way. But I also think that we we do this weird uh, smoke and mirrors with ourselves about our nurturing of other people. So I have <laughs> so many questions, but I, I wonder, and I'm, I'm sure that you probably wondered this too, like, okay, so how was the athlete two weeks later? Um, and it, it just, it just makes me think of, and I think this also pertains to the, the way that massage therapists are not really talked to in a realistic way about money, um, that everything has to happen right now. And it has to happen in a way that's dramatic and, you know, is, is visible and, and kind of gives you all of the cookies. Um, and we, that's kind of how we, how we deal with money, right? Mm -hmm. It's not dramatic for me to have enough food to eat and clothes to wear that aren't brand new, but are fine. Um, and a place to live that's just the right size. What's dramatic is I live across the street from this big ass three-story, you know, antebellum nonsense. That's that's dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I wonder too about the, you know, the allure of jobs like that job that that massage therapist, quote unquote, I would say got, right? Like I bet that massage therapist spends a lot of time telling people I am the massage therapist for this volleyball team. Or, you know, like we are all familiar with massage therapists like, oh, I work for the the Washington football team or I work for the, you know, the Celtics or whatever. And, and that I feel like there is a, again, we've been done a disservice in our foundational education. That's such a cool job that the idea of saying, so here's the thing. If a person comes in and tells me that they can't lift their arm over their shoulder and I do some assessment and I see, you know, that th this is going to take a while to treat properly in a way that will not result in lifelong challenge. Cause you say like, how is this athlete two weeks later? How is this athlete two years later? Like the body is an incredibly resilient situation and we can tear connective tissue and the body goes, Oh, well, this is what we're doing. Okay. And that person winds up playing out the whole season and forms some scar tissue or some, you know, compensatory patterns that seem okay in the immediate. But for that therapist to say, listen, I know this is your star setter or your star server, or whatever this person's role is on your volleyball team. And they're not going to, if you want them to play well in the future, and more to the point, if you want them to be able to use their arm, which I don't think is actually priority for the coach, the team owner, the whatever, if you want this person to have full use of their body for as long as possible in their life, here's what I recommend as a treatment intervention. And it doesn't involve forcing the body to do a thing that it's clearly demonstrating to me it doesn't want to do. And this idea that we are mechanics and that if the body isn't doing what I'm telling it to do, it just needs to be whacked with a wrench and then it will do it. Right. And that, like, it, it's another setup. It's another part of the setup of being a massage therapist. And we're sort of taught to support this way of thinking. And I think consumers envision us this way. I go to the massage therapist because I'm in pain because they're going to fix it. And there's no conversation about like, how did this happen? How is it affecting your function? what are all these other questions that probably would be really important to understand about, you know, I think about your blog, Rebecca, and the, the guy who said, I actually don't want to walk. That doesn't sound like a good thing for me. And I know that's probably hard to understand for people, but here's what I understand about being in this body. And here are my goals for, you know, the next five years or whatever. So those aren't conversations we're trained to have. Those aren't perspectives we're trained to cultivate. And so it's not a surprise that massage therapy, massage therapy careers are short and that people in situations like Carrie described are pushed to do things that honestly, I imagine are creating some discord inside them while they're doing it. They're like, I feel the pressure from the coach. I feel the pressure from the team. This person wants to play. I mean, even the athlete is saying like, I don't care what you have to do. Like, just, you know, fix it. And how do we stand our ground in a kind way and say, 
based on what I know about the body, which admittedly, depending on where you went to school, may not be that much. Um, I think the, the most, the kindest thing that I could do for your body is this. And that if as a practitioner, I know that I'm going to be frequently put in situations where I'm going to be doing things that don't feel congruent to my understanding, I don't want that job, but I'll take it because it means that I'm, you know, whatever I've got Celtics gear or, you know, that I can say, and I'm sure those people get paid better than some other massage therapists. So there are a lot of things that go into turning off our gut and turning off the, the wisdom that takes us to that place of sustainability. So not to completely change the subject. Gah! Sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry. Do it. Can we talk about free work. Because I feel like this is another thing that everyone gets lied oh. to about a lot. Like Say a more. Lot, a lot. Well, so um, in the beginning of my career, um, I worked for a place that had been around a lot of years and um, had a lot of employees and a lot of their goal, at least their marketing goal, was to remain visible and relevant. And those are both excellent goals um, for marketing, for sure. But part of that deal was that you had to do an immense amount of out of um, clinic chair massage at community events. And depending on where you were in the work hierarchy, which was very complicated because it was this weird Frankensteinian been put together, you know, like massage therapists, um, I think as business people, tried to be massage therapists and business people at the same time. And that does not always work out very well because then you want to listen to everybody. But if there's 20 people listening to everybody, get some really weird decisions made. Um, so some weird decisions had been made. Um, if you were new, then you were required to do six months of three hours a week of the stuff. Um, this is the thing. Um, and then after that, depending on where you were in the scale, you would get paid. Um, you would have less um, required time to do. And the way that it was worked into your paycheck, again, with the weird Frankensteinian stuff, um, was that it would be added to a per hour. So if you were caught up, you got the per hour. And if you were not caught up, you did not get the per hour. Um, that sounds illegal. Uh, it's not. Um, it's not. I, I would oh, like to say right oh, out that it is, it is not that's legal. Um, even more distressing. Uh, but the weird part was I did some um, financial uh, reconstituting kind of trying to fix that weird system for them. And um, it actually turned out that they were paying some people $80 an hour total to do this work, to do this chair massage um, because of the way the payments, like just because of the way the whole thing was set up. So this whole system was bad for both sides. It was crazy because if you were on the side that was doing the chair massage, you felt like you were doing free work, whether or not you were. And if you were on the side of people who were paying, you were grossly overpaying for this outside chair massage, but everybody felt slighted. Um, I have a saying about free work um, and I don't know if this is massage therapy specific, but we get solicited for it a lot. Um, a lot, a lot for anybody who does it. all the massage therapists were like, yes, yes, we do. Uh, <laughs> so my phrase for free work is um, people like to use the word exposure, right? It'll be good exposure for you and you can put your stuff up and there's exposure. And my phrase is that um, you can die of exposure. And you yes. can, especially if you're trying to launch your business and people are like, oh, we would love to have chair massage at our fill in the blank thing with tents and other people. And you can hand out business cards and do free massage for eight hours in a day and get no people because as soon as people get in that chair, they stop listening <laughs> immediately. When, when I die and find out everything I thought about death was wrong and there is a hell and I'm in it, I will be doing <laughs> chair massage at a free event. Uh, <laughs> for eternity. That, that is my personal idea of hell. Um, yes. I, I, I am very fond of saying that I am against volunteering. <laughs> I'm not really, but I think that, you know, at Healwell, we often are, are asked for massage therapists at, at events where there will be other healthcare providers. And our rule of thumb is if the other healthcare providers are donating their time, we will too. But I would say nine out of 10 times when we're asked to provide a free massage therapist, 
none of the other providers are free, but it's always expected that the massage will be free. Yeah, why is that? <laughs> well, and, and, and how do we get massage school educators to stop telling students that that's a great way to get exposure? And schools um, and, to, and to like build your practice. Students. Right. I yeah. mean, schools use students like that. Right. They use them as free chattel labor. Yeah. Uh, for this experience. Yeah. I'm just remembering the, um, there was a hospice in Chicago where I, I shadowed the massage therapist right before I left, uh, finished massage school. I finished, I didn't leave. I finished. Um, <laughs> um, and, and she was an employee and I just recently got an email from someone who's taking one of our classes, um, who is working for the same hospice as a volunteer. So they like this whole idea that even in a healthcare team where a massage therapist could be a really valuable and, you know, vital member of a team that can care for a human, there's this shift to volunteerism that I, I worked, there's a hospice in town where I am now that I told them, I, I think I volunteered for them for a couple of months when I first moved here. And then I told them, if you want me to come back, you have to pay me. That's, you know. Well, and I, I feel like this is another really sticky spot because, you know, I've spoken with lots of massage therapists since most of my career has been focused in sort of the hospice and palliative care space. And lots of massage therapists who've been massage therapists for a long time who want to keep their hands in it, pun intended, I guess, um, will happily volunteer like in a hospice setting because they don't want sort of the grind of managing clients, et cetera, et cetera. And I want to say to them, I get it, but you're undermining the rest of us. Um, and I also get wanting to do that. Um, but the other issue that I have is that this is, and we see this with hospital-based massage as well, is that working at a hospice or just being able to touch people and be in the environment of end of life is particularly attractive to some people. And so you approach the hospice and you say, you know, this is what I bring to the picture and blah, blah, or maybe you don't even, maybe you just say like, how do I get in and touch your people um, without even an idea that this could actually be something you could do and be paid for that sort of, it's this idea that if they'll let me in, I'm just so glad that like arguing for getting paid is not, I don't want to risk this relationship by saying, you know, probably you ought to pay me because I'm actually a healthcare provider. And, you know, upwards of 90% of hospice organizations have massage therapy sort of on their list of things they offer, but a much lower percentage, single digit last time I checked, actually have paid massage therapists. And so we've really set ourselves up through decades of well-intended volunteerism to not be respected in spaces where healthcare is being offered and where, um, you know, we really could be developing career paths, but there are too many massage therapists who are willing to do it for free that, you know, if the, if I call, if they call me and I say, yeah, that'll be this much an hour, they go, oh, we had somebody in here yesterday who said they do it for free. And so off they go. Yeah. We haven't as a profession. And I, I don't know if we, this is, I suspect this is intentional as a profession. We haven't explained or created consumer demand for adequately trained therapists for any particular setting. The idea that, you know, if you are a, an OBGYN, nobody would ask you to do brain surgery. No one would think you were qualified to do brain surgery. You know, it, and yet if you're a massage therapist, there's this imagined, this perception that you can do anything, any kind of massage therapy. I had a, a similar situation, Rebecca, where I uh, I had just moved to a new town. And so I approached the giant hospice that was, that served the area. And I went in and showed them my very impressive resume of training and skills around hospice and end of life uh, and palliative care massage therapy. And of course, the person who interviewed me was like, I had no idea that was a thing that palliative care massage therapy was even a thing. Wow. That's really interesting. And we would love to have massage therapy. That would be great. We're hospice, we don't pay, like it's volunteers. Now, 
this is standard. Lots of hospice is based, it, hospice was founded based on volunteerism. So I said, well, okay. I actually had the time. I was new to this town. I love doing hospice work. So I agreed to a, a limited <laughs> volunteer gig until I found out that the art therapist was paid, that the music therapist was paid, that all, of course, all of the social workers and the, the nurses were paid. Um, and the pet therapist was paid. So the dog got paid. <laughs> when I went in and I, and I explained to my supervisor that I thought there was something incongruous about this, you know, she just sort of shrugged and was like, as Cal said, like, there's a line we have, you're not the only massage therapist here. You're the only massage therapist with any of this kind of training, but massage is massage. And so we've got a bunch of people doing it for free. And there was no sense that, that a person with a certain kind of training would be useful. Um, just like yeah, I, have, well, I have no place in an orthopedic setting, right? I'm not your massage therapist for that. But if I walked in tomorrow and said, I'll do it, you know that I, if I do it for free, I'd get hired. That's, that's like saying pets are pets. Just bring in a feral cat off the street. It's pet therapy. What the hell? Right. <laughs> right. I mean, they're going to want to see the credentials of the yeah. pet. Yeah. If they're going to. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's real. I, I just need us to take a moment because I, I'm having an amazing experience imagining feral cat pet therapy. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> the amazing, yes, soft eyes, soft eyes. We have, we have a friend who, I guess, does I don't want to say domesticates, but does whatever you do with feral cats to get them to sort of at least come and eat food at your house and stuff like that. And she does this thing where she lays down on her side and she does what she calls soft eyes. And she just like gets down on the cat's level and just sort of like blinks slowly at them and just sort of tries to look as unmenacing as possible. And it's kind of magic. So when we're dealing with like a, a volatile situation in our house, soft eyes, soft eyes. So yeah. You're Girl, trying to tell I, me she's never been scratched in the face. I, I am not going to tell you that. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you that. Because I love you and I talk to you honestly. Thank you. Yes. But she's still... Her eyes are intact and she can use both of them without issue. So okay, that's do, good. do what you will with that information. Okay. It's not like a Nick Fury situation. That's cool. That's right. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, I, we got, we got a, a real, oh, go ahead, Corey. I, okay. So dichotomies and massage. Dun, dun, dun. Um, <laughs> we're so weird, man. We're so weird. <laughs> so we have this whole thing about like, I took this class and this class and this class and this class, and I have these certificates on my wall. I don't do this right, by the way, I throw them all away. Anyway, um, I take photocopies and like scan them and then they go in my Google Drive in case I get audited. Um, but there's a whole thing about, I took this class and I went to this thing and I did this thing and I have all the certificates to prove it because we don't have terminal degrees and you have to prove that you're worth something somehow. And that's what we do. And we also at the same time have this fight to stay homogenous. And I think that is so weird. <laughs> why, why are we doing this? Yeah. Because we get along. I mean, oh, is that I, it? So listen, listen. We're I, so nice. Yeah, no, mm. this is, I'm not, I'm not kidding. Like I have been at conferences held by, hosted by, attended by the coalition, the seven organizations that sort of lead theoretically massage therapy. And the the move toward a higher level of education is in my experience and i i look forward to the hate mail and the offers of how wrong i am about this but is people want to know how do we grandfather the people who don't have this level of training people want to know how they're going to afford to offer that level of training at their school that they've been running for 30 years or like it's all about making sure everybody gets to come and if everybody can't come, then we don't go. And even when we say, no, 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 let's do this. We're moving forward. Individual and small group thinking about we can't leave anybody behind stymies well-designed efforts to elevate the profession. And I, you know, I'm not faulting the humans, but I am pointing toward our unwillingness 
to create something greater or something different. And I think this is the problem is when we talk about tiers, there's the higher tier and the lower tier and that we get into that like hypothetical boxing match about relaxation massage versus therapeutic massage and that like somehow one is more valuable than the other. And we just can't get our ego out of it enough to be like, no, like kind educated touch is real valuable. And to touch ostensibly healthy people in certain environments, you don't actually need such extensive, at least technical medical training. So what does that license look like? There's lots of ostensibly healthy people out in the world who could use a really kind massage from a person who doesn't get all up in the weeds about all the stuff that nerdbags like us get up in the weeds about. And thank God for those people, because the world would be a better place if everybody got a massage like that. And then there are people with orthopedic issues or people with cardiovascular issues that your average massage therapist doesn't have the appropriate training to work safely with. And that doesn't make the massage therapists who have that training better. It just makes them able to serve a different population. But we can't, we just can't. I mean, I saw even some of my hospital-based massage therapy colleagues sort of making fun of non-hospital therapists when COVID started because people were all freaked out about how to wear PPE and stuff. And they were like, ha, 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 we've been wearing PPE for decades. And, you know, you noobs. And I'm like, dude, seriously? Like, it's by whatever happenstance that you are a hospital-based practitioner and you're familiar with this, but those people aren't stupid for not having experience using PPE. But we do. We want to have, I mean, even in oncology massage, there's the oncology massage therapists who work out of their homes. And then there's the ones who work in hospitals or clinics and somehow those people are better. And mm -hmm. this is what we do. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's a cast. Aww. It is. It is. Yeah. Finish the book. Oh, <laughs> oh. I know. And now you're going to see all it's the everywhere. casts everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I have decided to tell people that I'm Swedish though. I, I, who From can blame on. you? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Carry on. Yeah. Just, no, sorry. Okay. Excellent. Henceforth. Right <laughs> yeah. Did we answer Mike's question? Uh, well, no, we haven't talked about like the where money factors into the decision to leave. Mm. So, so we've spent the we had two episodes that were talking specifically about leaving the massage profession, right? And we talked to, to people who have left, people who have left and come back, you know, we ourselves talked and um, a few people alluded to the question of money, um, but we didn't really get into it, I think, specifically the question of money. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking of a couple of things that people had said, like Ruth said it's at one point, I can't remember if this was in the episode or not, but she did say at one point that she didn't know anybody who was a practicing, practicing massage therapist and doing all right, who wasn't also doing something else. Yes. Um, and I know Justin was talking, was alluding to, you know, it would be great to have the money for eight hours of massage a day, but that's not what that's not what his body can handle. That's not what the, the human body can handle. Um, and and uh, Nancy, who's retired, talking about the the uh, awareness of the privilege of being like in a relationship where she has a partner who is retired from a job that pays retirement, you know, and and having that financial stability to be able to retire from having her own business. Um, well, and I. I thought it was interesting and I, I love Nancy and I, I love that she sort of, I feel like she totally glazed over the, yeah, like if you feel ready to leave, just make sure that you have, you know, your financial ducks in a right. row or whatever. And I was like, so could you go back? Like, what does that look like? How do yeah. you do that? And you don't do that at the moment you decide you're, you don't sort of look around and go, yeah, looks good. I'm ready to go. Yeah. Like, well, you know. Well, I think that I, I will, I will give my my um, my unending love to Michael Reynolds right now. And any of you guys who know me know that whenever Michael Reynolds' name is mentioned, little hearts form in my eyes um, because Michael <laughs> Reynolds uh, makes money not scary. And I find money very scary. And I think that somebody like Michael Reynolds would say to you, like, you can and should 
find yourself in a place where when you're ready to leave, you look around and you're like, oh yeah, ducks mostly rode up. Like this one's a little out of line. It'll take me six more months to get that duck where it's supposed to be. Uh, but again, our business classes in massage education, one of the, the allure of massage therapy to begin with, we like to say all the time that massage therapists are pirates, right? They're like, yeah, I don't fit into, and I didn't err. And now I just <laughs> like, I'm sailing the seven seas, you know? Baby <laughs> yes. and cash. Yes. yes. That's right. I have, cash. Some, I have some doubloons under the bed. That's my That's retirement right. plan. Um, <laughs> but I do think that we, <clears throat> we need to, we have to be better at teaching massage therapists that this is, this is part of whether you're going to work at a franchise, whether you're going to work for somebody else, whether you're going to have a, a private business, like some business savvy, some financial understanding is really important. And if you hate that and can't do that, it is worth what you're going to pay somebody else to do that for you. And, and that that is something we really, we always imagine we can't afford. We, I mean, I certainly did it for years. I had all kinds of reasons why I couldn't do that. And I couldn't, uh, I, I think it's really, really important that we stop telling the story that that's some unachievable goal only for really, really wealthy people or people who have a partner or who have a this or half of that. It does take work, not like doing a lot of massage work. It takes work sort of looking at yourself and your relationship with money, where you're spending it, what you think you need, what you do need, and, and your own sort of comfort and skill set with doing that for yourself or needing some help and support around that. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if you felt like this, Carrie, because we uh, taught for the same school system in different cities. Um, I always felt like my students needed more than anything. They needed two things. They needed for us to be more trauma-informed than we were, and they needed financial literacy classes yeah. that none of us were qualified to offer no. because we didn't have it. Like we were, we were basically handing down our ignorance no, because I was teaching for $15 an hour. Yeah. That's what I got paid as a teacher. And yeah. I was telling you about how you could supplement your income by teaching. Yeah, yeah. Well, and as you described earlier, Carrie, that, you know, or maybe it was you, Rebecca, who said with Air Bunnies, um, you know, unofficially, if you blah, blah. I think the way that it gets taught, I, I'll say the way that I hear is if your body language and tone of voice is saying, like, I have to teach you this, but it doesn't really matter. It's not going in. Right. And I'm pretty sure that that's how I received, like, this is how you do your quarterly taxes. This is how you like, whatever, like, this is what you're supposed to do, but don't worry. Most people don't do it. it was kind of like the undercurrent of how that was sold. And I think there's also the assumption, like the people who teach that live and breathe it. And it is a language they are used to and understand real easily. And the way that it gets presented is like, if you don't get this, you're an idiot. And so like to ask, so what happens if you don't pay your quarterly taxes? Or like, do you really have to mail this in every couple of months? Or like, I don't really remember there being a lot of back and forth in those business classes and people really saying like, this feels like a lot. I don't understand. You just sort of plow through it and then good luck. And I mean, yeah. I've been in practice 15 years and I am still paying an installment plan on the taxes from the first five years of my practice before I sort of figured out how to manage my taxes. Mm -hmm. Because I was afraid to ask, I felt overwhelmed, I just sort of never got around to it. I thought, oh, 3%, that's not so bad. But if you just pay your taxes, right, then you don't do that. But I wonder how many of us are carrying that sort of long-term debt because, or if that's just our debt, that's just our tax payment plan. I can't get my mind around quarterly taxes 3% doesn't seem that bad when you look at interest rates for like loan loans. So I'll just know that every month I'm paying the IRS whatever I've agreed to pay them to indicate that I plan to make good on my tax burden. I think it also makes me think of uh, something that you said, Corey, in an earlier episode about how uh, 
cynical, suspicious we are as a profession of experts from other fields. You know, the business classes at the school I attended and at the schools I taught at were taught by massage therapists. They weren't taught by business people. I mean, I took one class from a woman who had become a massage therapist after having been in the corporate world, whatever that means. Well, and that, that means are acceptable. That's what, that's, that was exactly what made the school think she was qualified to teach a business class. And nothing against her. She was great. She was actually a very smart person. But again, she was teaching from the perspective of a massage therapist, not from the perspective of somebody who was a financial expert or a business expert or had any sense of, you know, again, she came to massage therapy after having all her ducks in the row because she had a corporate job and now she had a nest egg. And so, you know, she could certainly say, here's how you pay your quarterly taxes. But for people sitting in the room who were already like, you know, counting out the dollars and the cents in their wallet, you know, saying, I'll put this money aside every week and then I'll give it to the government. It wasn't just a question of that's abstract. It was like, and then how will I eat? How will I pay my rent? Exactly. Right? Yeah. Well, and you do just keep thinking like next month I'll make enough to be able to do that. And then you just kind of forget that that was the thing you were trying to do. That was my experience anyway. Did you all get taught about quarterly taxes in the slash school? Nope. Actually, I don't think we did. Okay. I, I was I like, did. what? Okay. I did. I, I did, did not. But- I mean, I was insofar as we were taught, you have to pay quarterly taxes if you work for yourself. Nope. I think you have to pay taxes came up, but uh, that's yeah, it. that's that's exactly how ours was. I don't think we didn't even have. I think There's we had no one instructor. No mention of quarterly taxes. There was, there was this sort of weird hint that if you're an independent contractor, you're working for yourself. It's different. Yep. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> and it's it's you know, it's like okay, so when I walk through, you know, the door and drink the potion that makes me smaller, then then I'll know. But <laughs> Yeah, it was also sort of like and if you're working out of your house, like who needs to know? Mm-hmm. It was like part of the message. There was I feel like um this might be unfair to some of my instructors, but whatever, school doesn't exist anymore. I I feel like the way that we were taught about like taxes and finances was basically how to do everything under the table. There was a lot more instruction in that than there was in like, this is the form and this is what the form looks like. And you need to get this form turned in by this date because if you're a business person or if you're an independent contractor, as opposed to if you're an employee then you need to do it by this date. And also here's how you fill out the form because they're horrible. And well, I, I want to be really clear because I, I, I can, I can already hear school owners and teachers being like, that's not how we teach it. And Mm -hmm. and I agree. They don't set out to say, this is how you get around the system. Right. Mm -hmm. I think what winds up happening is they say like, this is what I've heard people do. This is what a lot of people do without really saying like, this is actually illegal and, or this isn't the way that you stay above board and actually stay up on your taxes. And so like, let's look at you make this much money each week from sessions. How do you create a structure so that you know that this amount of that should go like into a savings account that's harder to get to or whatever? I mean, that's when I finally figured it out. That's what I did. I put it in an account that I had to go to the facility where it was to get it. Because if I could get it with my ATM or I could just transfer it electronically, I would just spend it. And um, there wasn't any of that. This is going to be hard this is going to feel whatever kind of ways that it feels that make people not do it. And I think that functionally what happens is you learn how to get around it. And because you leave not feeling confident about how to do it above board, you ask practicing therapists who have figured out how to get around it. And that's what you do. And I think that you can't teach it the way you're suggesting, Cal, because if we actually sat in our class at massage school together and did the real math, you would see that you couldn't afford to be a massage therapist right? and you wouldn't finish paying for my program. And, mm-hmm. and, and, well, and, and. That, and that's where the, we're lying to students comes from. Like right. this is, yeah. Yeah. 
like I, you know, I went to school in Chicago and everybody thinks they're going to be Oprah's massage therapist. And, you know, that's not, nah, man. <laughs> Turns out she doesn't need that many massage therapists. No. She really doesn't. No. Mm-mm. no. So um, the answer is there is no answer. We need to, to, <laughs> that's always the answer. Um, we need Michael Reynolds to teach everybody how to do, how to deal with money. That's right. Well, oh, and, 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 oh, go ahead, Carrie. I was going to say, we have organizations like Massage Business Blueprint, of which Michael Reynolds and Alyssa Haynes are the founders. It's a great community. There's tons of free resources. And they've really developed, uh, again, like a community of massage therapists who actually want to do it legally and above board, (laughs) having the hard conversations about how do you do that. And Again, I, I think it comes down to honesty and that we really have to stop lying to ourselves and to each other about how do we do this. Well, and I, I guess I, I want to put in a, a little plug that we call it lying because it is lying. And we lie a lot in the world. And that when we're doing these things that can honestly be called lies, lying doesn't mean it's intentional, like that it's conscious. True. And I think that that is a lot of what, like, you know, I can see, I am imagining people having their buttons pushed because they're like, my school doesn't do it that way, or that's not how I learned it. Excellent. Congratulations. And see if there's any truth to what we've shared about your curriculum or how you learned or whatever it might be. And see what can be improved and really like getting to, you were talking earlier about, you know, if your students fail, the teacher fails. How do we see if there's proficiency in how to do these things. And like you said, I mean, we don't do it that way because we're not aware that we're doing it in a way that never quite makes the rubber meet the road. But if we did it that way and our students were seeing, oh yeah, this is like, I'm going to have to sell essential oils or I'm going to have to get my esthetician certificate or whatever it might be to really be able to make ends meet comfortably. um, Why is that? And what can we do in a bigger sense to elevate the ability to make a living as a massage therapist, because that's the problem that has to be solved. Exactly. So whoever has that answer, call us. That's right. Email. Send us an email. At healwell.org. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for a, a, a salty exploration, everybody. And uh, I hope we've stirred up the mud people are going to have some things to say and uh, we can keep working to solve these problems because the profession is worth saving, but man, nobody's going to do it but us. So thanks for being with us. Get in there and uh, hit the patreon.com slash interdisciplinary, $5 a month for secret squirrel uh, content that's going to make you laugh. It's going to make you think. It'll make you squirm a little bit. Um, and then you'll want your friends to be in there because you'll be like, oh, I listened to this thing. And they'll be like, what is it? And you're like, well, you got to get in there to see it. So, uh, you know, get out there and uh, build your network, build our network. Let's see if we can uh, dig in and solve some of these problems. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, all you beautiful Healwellians. Interdisciplinary is produced by Healwell. Our theme music is by Harry Pickens. New episodes are available weekly through your favorite podcast outlet. Uh, And you can send us an email at podcast at healwell.org. That's podcast at healwell.org. Thanks for listening.